Well, we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3, last time in those first nine verses, that perilous time is going to come. Perilous not for the world, but for Christians. Those who want to live in the light, it's going to be a tough place to find the light. People that want to hear the word of God, there's going to be very little of that. We're going to get next week and see that the last days, people are going to not only want, but demand that their ears are tickled um, to hear what's pleasing to them. I'm okay. You're okay. It's okay. Just you're great the way you are. Uh, no, no pressure, no change. Just simply um, the, the, the spirit of the age is whatever you believe is good enough. Whatever, however you live is fine. And, uh, and he ended up saying there, it's similar to when Jannies and Jambres, those sorcerers who stood against Moses, they stood their ground and they had the power to do a number of the same miracles Moses and Aaron performed by the power of God. They were doing it by the power of Satan. But eventually their progress became evident that it could go no, no further. And they said to Pharaoh, this is the hand of God. This is, you better wake up here and, and pay attention. This is something far more powerful than we're used to. But... Did they get converted? No, not at all. Quite the opposite. And that's the generation. There's going to be a form of godliness. People aren't going to give up religion. I think religion will be more popular than ever uh, as we come to these last days. But there'll be no power or reality with it. It's just a religion, a social club, uh, uh, ability to get their ears tickled and, and maybe be comforted as a place to meet people and hang out. But real worship of God and real growth in the Lord, not going to be happening. And uh, it's interesting. I, I don't know if you guys have seen more and more what's going on. The 5K technology coming out. Scary stuff, guys. And I don't know if you know, but this year, 2019, your driver's license isn't going to be good for anything but being able to drive. If you want to get on an airplane, you got to change that California ID into a federal ID called the real ID. You got to take your papers down there, passports, whatever you have, uh, fill out quite a bit of information and they do a face scan. That's the scary part. They'll know every step you're taking with a 5K, 5K technology uh, as well. And then a thing that's being pushed, it started being pushed by Obama and it's still on its way, and that is a federal police department that uh, the local police and sheriffs, that will be a thing of the past. And uh, this is exactly what happened in Nazi Germany. So, you know, for us, we know these perilous times are coming. We, we, we see that the Bible says you're going to have to eventually have the mark 666 to buy or sell or travel. The Bible says wherever you try to flee, they'll be able to know where you're at. This 5K technology, they will know every step you take. And, of course, the NSA is listening to every word you say uh, through your cell phone, uh, whether it's on or off or through your iPad or your computer. And, I, and I'm not just. Uh, trying to, to, to be a conspiracy theorist. This is facts, and we know it, and no, nobody's hiding it anymore. The average year, 56 million abortions are happening in the world. Do you realize if you took the largest state in our union, California, and added Arizona and Utah and Nevada you barely break 50 million. To give you an idea, the UK, that's England, Scotland, Ireland, combined reach 60 million. So imagine the entire UK being killed off, or all of California, Utah, Nevada, Arizona being killed 
every year. Now, these new abortion laws they're just doing in New York and, of course, in Atlanta, the governor there was trying to push it. It's, it's now not just the partial birth abortion where the baby can be up to nine months and you poke its head off. They have special tools which they go into their brain and scramble it and kill them and then they finish the delivery. Now they can actually bring the baby out of the body and kill it uh, while it's being born right up to the ninth month. And so, you know, if, if you're trying to, you know, skirt the idea of what abortion is or isn't, um, they're, they're making it clear. It is killing babies, no way, shape, or form around it. Perilous times. It's scary times. And, and, and that, we see the signs, and all of this is to bring tension to us to say, when they ask Jesus, look at these stones, and, and uh, isn't it a marvelous temple? And Jesus said, the day's coming where not one stone will be left upon another. Watch and pray. These are going to be dicey, difficult times for the followers of Jesus Christ. And of course, in Thessalonians, it says there will be an apostasia. Eventually, there is a large group of Christians that have really ha never had their faith tested by persecution. That when they taste persecution, they're going to realize there really has never been a commitment to follow Christ. We have followed Christ because it was comfortable. And it added a lot to us. And there was really little price to be paid. Even today, Christianity, very few Christians actually truly tithe 10%. Very few Christians really read their Bible in the course of a year, which is really only 72 hours if you pop on a tape and read at a medium speed. And then, of course, how many... Christians are truly sharing their faith and leading somebody to Christ. These were things that were just self-evident truths amongst the New Testament believers and throughout history. No one would ever think, how can a person go through a year without sharing the Lord with people, uh, many people, and, and eventually at least somebody's going to get saved, and then to disciple them and bring them into the Lord. And, but yet now people can be in churches for 50 years and never led one person to Christ. They could have been born into the church and die in the church, and they've never taught somebody the scriptures through the gospel of John to help them understand it as they're growing in the Lord. It's an amazing thing to realize that our Christianity really cost us very little. It's sort of all volunteer if you want, when you can, if it's not convenient, if it doesn't dip into your finances or take up too much time. Well, it's going to get tested in these last days. And so he, he tells him in verse 10 here tonight, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. But Timothy, I'm confident that this, this weak Christian time you're going through will end. And of course, if Timothy were to be in that time, and of course, the Roman Empire looked a lot like the tribulation period or the times before the coming of the Lord, he says that you'll snap out of it and that you would give back to not just following the doctrine. You know, obviously, doctrine is important. We need to have the truth. And and a lot of the truth is negative truth. It's it's. Uh, um, talking about the weakness and the sinfulness of our flesh and how we have to fight against it. It's negative in that we got to fight about the, talk about the devil and spiritual attack. And then we got to talk about the worldliness and how we can't be compromising in worldliness and, and keep an on-fire heart for God. It talks about how we, in this sinful body, in a sinful world with the devil, we have to deny ourselves and take up the cross and beat our body in subjection and crucify our bodies with his passions and desires. There's a lot of truth that if you are 
wanting to live a comfortable, easygoing, easy believism that doesn't cost you much, these things just aren't going to be taught in the churches. People will just quit coming because it sounds heavy. It sounds like, man, you're either in or out. You're either, you're either laying your life down as a living sacrifice or, or not. And so many people don't want their Christianity to have a heaviness. They don't want their Christianity to have such a deep uh, commitment where all is laid down and crucified for Christ. And so he, he is saying here, it's the doctrine, but it's more than that. It's, it's more than that. And, and you know that. And of course, don't forget, Timothy was pastoring in Ephesus. And remember Revelation 3, the first church on the seven churches that the Lord, well, rebukes. He says, you're doctrinal. Man, you guys are one doctrinal church. You can check out the heretics and you got rid of them and you stood against them and, and you guys are teaching uh, doctrinally and people are educated in the Bible, but there's no love. It's a loveless marriage <laughs> and, and, and there is no passion, no desire, no, no uh, love in that, that there's that, that first love when somebody, you know, gets to know somebody new and they fall in love and they go through those years, that first love, that should never have left your walk with the Lord. And Jesus says, I, I can't tolerate the church of Ephesus if they don't repent and quickly come back to doing those first works, not the doctrinal works, but other things such as the manner of life. I wonder all of what Timothy would think Timothy was a young teenage boy when he started following Paul. I think like Jesus, he was being a servant. We know that Paul says in more than one place that not to be a burden on the church, he made tents constantly uh, to provide the finances for himself and all those that were with him. And I think he saw Paul probably washing feet and washing the clothes and cooking the food and, and, and giving himself like Jesus did as a servant. But then there is this purpose. Paul just set his face like Jesus. It says, knowing that he would be crucified. It says in the gospel, Jesus set his face like flint, knowing he would be put to death in Jerusalem. Paul did the same thing. When he went to Jerusalem, even Philip's four virgin daughters, who were all prophetesses, said, you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested and eventually killed. And Paul says, none of this deters me. I'm going straight to Jerusalem. There was a purpose in his life, and, and it wasn't um, compromised. It wasn't unclear at any time. For him to live was Christ, and to die was gain. And then there was a faith, trusting the Lord, a long-suffering patience with people. Uh, as we saw in Thessalonians, he said, like a nursing mother, I, I was with you, all of you, tenderly loving you, patiently. Uh, we see the church of Corinth and how badly they were treating Paul, but yet he loved him. And he says, it seems like the more I love you, the less I am loved by you. The more I show you respect, the less respect you show me. And it doesn't matter. I'm not going to change. This is, this is how Christianity works. And interesting, love is sort of mentioned in the list of this in the middle where he says the, the love. You know that I, I didn't just do it doctrinally or like Jehovah Witnesses knocking on door after door to pass out their tracks. That when Paul preached and Paul discipled and Paul prayed for those who were sick, there was a genuine love and a perseverance. Boy, we know about that. Shipwrecked three times, a night and a day, twice in the deep. Beaten with rods and whips, imprisoned. But he'd get right back up and keep going. The persecutions, afflictions. He had so many bodily injuries. In Galatia, he makes mention that you guys would have plucked your eyes out and gave them to me. According to the great historian Josephus, 
He said that Paul had an, a, a disease and a big part of that would cause an oozing that smelled horrendous that would come from his eyes. And, uh, <clears throat> and his body was very, very weakened. We see in 2 Corinthians, he was so weakened, he said, I can't do the ministry anymore. And, and the Lord said, in your weakness, my strength will may, be made perfect. So Paul came limping into town, maybe even carried and maybe couldn't see so well, had patches on his eyes. But he would, with a weakened body and a diseased body and, and had been beaten so many times with rods and whips and stoned to death at one time, his body was, was in bad shape from all the persecutions, but limping and mangled and hurting and, and, and diseased and weak, it didn't deter him. All of his afflictions did not stop him. What happened to him, he says, in, Icon in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord delivered him out of them all. You know, when you think about this, <clears throat> Paul's first missionary journey was this. In chapter 13, the prophets and teachers there in a different Antioch, there's a lot of towns named Antioch. This is the Antioch in Turkey he went to, but they're in the Antioch in Israel area. They, they prayed for him and they sent Barnabas and Paul out and their missionary journey was just a short little trip from Iconium and down to our Antioch, down to Iconium and then Lystra. But uh, if you remember there in chapter 13, where he's barely got started, he gets down to the other Antioch and, and he starts preaching and people start believing. But yet at the same time, um, the Jews got jealous of Paul and they raised up. And there as he heads down to, from Antioch to Iconium, they followed him down there. Paul uh, shook the dust off his feet, came to Iconium. And, and as he preached, the people were filled with joy. But in chapter 14, it says when he got to Iconium, that people had traveled down from Antioch and they stirred him up. And the bottom line is, is Paul got stoned to death, literally. There, in, uh, after he left Iconium down into Lystra, and we, we know in chapter 16, that's where Timothy was from. So it's very possible that Paul, he goes down to Iconium and he starts preaching the gospel. People from all the regions are coming in. <clears throat> he sees a man who is lame. And, and he sees the man has faith as Paul's preaching. And he says, in the name of Jesus, rise up. The guy was started walking. The people said, oh, this is Jupiter and Zeus. And they start killing animals to worship them. And they ripped their clothes saying, no, we're men. And they got mad at him. And anyway, they came down to Lystra. And make a long story short, Paul got stoned to death. And most likely, Timothy was there. After he got stoned to death, what did he do? They dragged his body away from that place. And as they started praying, he raised from the dead. He goes right back into the place where they stoned him and preaches the gospel again. And then he uh, goes back and sort of retracts and visits the churches, strengthens them, puts elders in places. And then on his second missionary journey, he heads back to these places. And he comes down to Lystra and finds Timothy. And this young boy that the whole, all the churches in Derby and Leicester and around said, hey, this guy should be your pupil and uh, should go with you. And, and Paul agreed and, and Timothy be, became and he's saying, you know, you for years and years, you've seen it. When I was shipwrecked and paddling out there in the middle of the ocean, you were there. When we were getting beat with rods, you got hit. <laughs> we were put in prison, you were there. You, you know that this is standard operating uh, procedures for, for us who are preaching the gospel. And then one of the most known verses in the Bible, one of the promises, great promises of God, 2 Timothy 3.12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, not maybe, but will suffer persecution. So Paul is saying, Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy, you're, you're not 
opposing the heretics. And you've got to get in their face. There's a couple of guys he names by name and says, you need, to, you need to kick them out, that their bodies are destroyed, that their souls might be saved. They, they have shipwrecked. Timothy, you're, you're, you're not being the pastor that God's called you to be there in Ephesus because it's difficult to teach the truth. And, and uh, in that educated city, you're feeling insecure. And, and he's, he's telling him, you got to stay there. Timothy was wanting to leave. And he just said, you need to step up. And then we come to 2 Timothy. And Timothy was wanting to back off even knowing Paul because all in Asia, all throughout Turkey at that time, all the churches and all the people that once supported Paul were now bad-mouthing him and, and, and speaking horribly against him. And Timothy would go to the pastor's conference and just, uh, hey, weren't you with Paul? Yeah, I know the guy. Yeah, that's about it. And Paul just says, hey, Timothy, uh, I'll take it from these other guys, but not from you. You're my son in the faith. And, um, and, and he's telling him again, look, Timothy, even though you're not out preaching the gospel where it's never been preached before, you don't have to. Every Christian in every church who's being a light of the world, a salt of the earth, who's standing for truth, even though they do it gently and lovingly and kindly, you don't understand. <laughs> when people are living in darkness and you flip the light on, right? Remember teenage kids? Time to get up, flip the light on. Oh! shut the light off well the world doesn't want the light turned on they want their wickedness and when you are coming just your very presence is light they're going to hate you look at a number of passages on this in Matthew 5 verse 10 through 12 blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when they revile, persecute, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before them. So it's always been the case. The Moseses, the Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Daniels, um, it, it wasn't personal. It was spiritual. In Luke 6, 22, Jesus, also this Sermon on the Mount, but it has more added to it. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you. That, that's sometimes, it'd almost be better if they just hated you rather than excluding you, right? And revile you and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For indeed, the reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. This is something the apostles understood, because right after Jesus raised from the dead, remember, they were arrested. And they said, don't preach in the name of Jesus. And, and Peter said, Jesus told us to preach him. Do we listen to God or you? And so then they beat him with rods. And, and what does it say? The apostles went out rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer for Jesus' name's sake. So they really were geared up saying persecution is, is not a deterrent to them. So Paul didn't go into a city where they were all worshiping Diana and people were getting wealthy from making all these idols and they had all this giant temple, huge building with all these prostitutes of money-making religion with powerful people that it's known that if you say anything other than their religion, they'll probably kill you. Paul didn't go in there and, and, and try to hide. <laughs> He didn't go in there trying to, you know, smooth talk him. So not to upset him. You know, I don't want it to be me. If it's Jesus, it's okay. But, I, you know, no. He, he, I think Paul was surprised. He, you know, he wasn't stoned to death in every city. First missionary journey, he gets stoned to death. And he's like, well, yeah, I've already been killed once, you know. Get stoned again. Read 2 Corinthians 11. He did. Beaten. Robbed. By Jews and Gentiles, people that he knew, people that were strangers. Jesus goes on to say in John 15, verse 18 to 20, 
If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There you go. If you're a born-again believer, God's spirit's in you, you are not going to be accepted by the world and, and their, their spirit. You're of a different spirit. In verse 20, he goes on, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And then in John 16, 1 through 4, these things I've spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of their synagogue. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. These things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of, I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. So guys, brace for it. There is no way around it. It's not your personality. It's not that one little sentence that you said that was a little bit sharp. It's, it's the fact is, guys, it's anybody who's desiring to live godly. Paul didn't say, now, just so you know, the top 10% of the most godly person, they're going to be suffering. He said, no, even the weakest of Christians that are just desiring to be holy as God is holy. They're going to experience it. Just the desire in them, wanting to live godly in this life, it's going to be incredibly offensive to the world. And you, you can't get around it. And, and the fact is, is they're going to hate you and you're going to be going, I'm so kind. I'm so nice. You know, I, I spent an extra $20 on the Christmas present for them and they still don't like me. And, you know, they, they go out and drinking. I, I do everything I can not to condemn anybody for what they're doing. And they tell the dirty joke and I just sort of grin and walk away. I don't I don't rebuke them or anything. I, I don't understand why they're not including me, why they're excluding me, why I can't. You know, it's because I'm a nerd. I was that way in junior high and high school and now I'm working at this job and I'm just a repeat of the high school. It's not. These are all things that Satan's trying to throw at you. Maybe our own human mind. But the thing is, is we need to walk as men. We need to walk godly. It's good that a man bear his yoke in his youth. It's good that he put his face in the dust and wait for the salvation of God. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing, it, though nobody else is following Jesus at work, in your school, in your family, that you are. And it irritates them. And you're not trying to be irritating. It's just simply light and darkness don't mix. Right? I mean, darkness is the absence of light. And when light comes in, darkness can't dwell. And so he, he's saying, Timothy, you're there and you're trying to be everybody's friend. And you've read four times how to win friends and influence people. And, and, uh, and, and you find out no matter what you say or how you say it, you've got a percentage of these non-believers that come or carnal believers that don't like the, the conviction. They feel a push. They feel condemned. They feel all these things and they're they're throwing it back on you saying man why are you teaching such sharp hard messages can't you just lighten up and 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 just let us all feel good for one sunday or whatever and and he's just saying i'm sorry timothy it's it's a part of the yoke all of us who are followers of jesus have they hated him they're going to hate you. Those people he loved and taught and healed were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And, uh, and so quit trying to get away from it. Quit trying to be the one Christian that gets along with all non-Christians. 
quit trying to dim down the light so you're not irritating people as much. Stop it. You can't do anything about it. Jesus was perfect. Perfect in love, perfect in kindness. All his brothers that he grew up with, it says in John 6, sought to have him killed, tried to persuade him to go up in the midst of the feast, knowing they were waiting to ambush him. And it says, because they didn't believe in him. Here you grow up with an older brother, perfect in kindness and love, a servant, helping mom, helping raise all the boys and the girls in the family. But yet what happened? They, they didn't appreciate Jesus' love and kindness and gentleness and, and help. They were jealous of him, maybe, or maybe he was so good it irritated him that, you know, mom would always say, can't you be like your older brother Jesus? I, I don't know. But Jesus was perfect. It said that he did all things well as a carpenter in Nazareth. It said even there he did all things well. But when he came to Nazareth, he preached the gospel. The people were amazed at the gracious words that he spoke. And what was the reaction? They were offended at him. Where did he get these words? And who is he to tell us? And they took him to the pinnacle of the temple to kill him, to throw him or the pinnacle uh, of the, the biscuits, a cliff there in Nazareth. They were going to throw him off and kill him. And it says he left there in Nazareth. He could do no mighty miracles there because of their hardness of heart. And no prophet has honor in his own hometown among his own relatives. I, I'm just saying, if you, oh, it's me. It's really not the non-believers. It's me. You know, yeah, we, we do, don't we? I mean, we, we as in human flesh, we are just unappealing to other human flesh. I mean, we can, we can appeal for a short time here and there. But if you got to hang out day after day in an office or work side by side with guys at the work, it's just eventually our, our fleshliness, just humanness. I don't mean sinfulness. I mean, just our humanity, right? Wanted to talk to him close and they got bad breath or, you know, you, you just they were telling you something and you just were a little preoccupied and they didn't react right and they're upset. And so you've got to understand that if you're going to live godly, if you desire to live godly, you're not even doing it yet. You just desire it. Don't try to change the formula. It's not going to work. Just accept the fact that when you tell people about Jesus, if the Holy Spirit hasn't been drawing them unto the Father, they're going to hate you. Jesus says, I will show you the scars of my body in Galatians 6, that I preach Christ and him crucified. And if I quit preaching the cross, then I wouldn't have a scar. But when I tell people their sins are so hideous that God had to come in human flesh and pay for their sins by dying a horrible death, it's offensive to them. Well, in verse 13, and so these persecutions going to happen with non-believers, whether they're mean non-believers or nice non-believers or, uh, you know, amiable non-believers, the fact that you're there and you're not of their spirit and, and, and you're of the spirit of God, it's knee-jerk reaction, it's offensive. But to those who are called to believe, it will become the wisdom and the power of God, even though the first reaction might be it's foolishness and offensive. But at the same time, you got the real bad guys happening. But evil men, verse 13, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. They, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid, man. They, they, have, they have convinced themselves their lies are truth. Jesus tells us the first thing he said, he said, when the temple, uh, the, the, when they asked him about the temple, he said, Jesus said, here's the first thing he said in Matthew 24, 4 and 5, take heed that no one deceives you. And you wouldn't think that he'd have to say that to his disciples, right? 
but he's going. These guys are going to be good. I mean, these guys are going to have a different Jesus, a different gospel. It's going to be a, a more palatable Christianity for the everyday uh, person <laughs> that, that doesn't cause you to be so separated from the world and have such a different idea that, that the world is standing in such contrast with you. And it's going to be appealing to all of us at some point. And then he said in verse 5, and it's not going to happen once or twice, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 5, for many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. Of course, one of those will be the Antichrist himself. In Corinth, the people were saying, but you, you don't understand, these, these guys are wonderful guys. They're incredible teachers. They're, they're amazing human beings. These guys that are coming in and teach us these, you know, other Christian doctrines that sort of disagree with you, Paul. And you got to understand, these guys are awesome guys. I can't imagine them being such humble, wonderful, loving, intelligent guys, uh, you know, being this, this horrible influence on us. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13 to 15, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in to apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into the angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Satan's no dummy. You know, we, we would, he would like us to believe he would show up in that red skin tight to, uh, suit, right? Red skin in tight suit. There we are. With the horns and the pitchfork and the tail wagging. And, and we can say, there he is. You can, you can see it. He's so hideous looking. Uh, that's how we know he's not of God. But in actuality, if Satan were to appear right now, the, the Bible says that when God made him, he made him perfection amongst all the angels. And if he appeared here now, he would be glorious looking. He, he would have such a type of light and such an amazing beauty, such a charismatic spirit that draws people. We would all be in awe of him. Our reaction wouldn't be, Oh, they're Satan. You know, it, it wouldn't be that. It would be like, oh, it's so beautiful, so heavenly. It's so angelic. It's so, I've never seen anything like it. It, it, it. And of course, hopefully those who have the spirit of God in them would sense, ah, oh, but I'm still grieved. All my senses are telling me this is the most wonderful sight I've ever seen. But only one sense, and that's my spirit, has a check in it like, Ugh, but something's a little bit off here. Do, do we get this? And so this is this is what he's doing. He's not Satan isn't working overtime on the satanic religions of the world. The, those aren't his big uh, in earners, you know, <laughs> He would rather create religions that look so much like Christianity and have such a orderliness and a beauty to them that it would cause people who are fighting in the trenches to, to, to live for Christ and having spiritual warfare, having to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might to fight against principalities and powers and, and trying to live holy and godly in this world trying to pray without ceasing, fasting, meditating word, God's word day and night, sharing our faith and being rejected after rejection. And then they tell you, just sign up in the Mormon church and we'll give you a really good job right here in town. You know, at Hewlett Packard <laughs> or the Marriott or whatever. And and, and you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to be struggling like this. 
And this is what these guys were doing. Paul, man, he's got beaten. Now he's in prison and, and look at us. We're wealthy and we're staying in the finest hotels and we're doing so well and, and people love us. And yeah, even the non-Christians, you know, they, we don't get, we're not at each other. There's not this animosity between us, you know, we're, we, they're doing their thing, we're doing ours and they respect us, we respect them. And, and, and here's Paul just in the trenches fighting it out. And Timothy had been fighting it out with Paul. And, and now in Ephesus, all these religions and all these teachers are coming through. And, and they're, they're, they're close, but not close enough. And Timothy is like, wow, I can have a Christianity without the difficulties that I had as I was with Paul. There's a Christianity that it's, it's pretty nice. <laughs> And I, I just realized that the people now coming to church, I just can't say certain things. I got to stay away from certain topics. I, I can't, uh, you know, I can only read part of Paul's letter um, that he wrote because some of it would just cause people to leave. And, and he's now telling him, Timothy, don't get sucked into this. Don't, don't get lost. These guys are evil men, even though they look like angels of light, even though they look like ministers of righteousness. It's not true. This is what I told you. And it's not going to slow down. It's not going to get easier. It's going to continue, especially in the last days before the coming of the Lord. They're going to grow worse and worse. They're going to be deceiving. And they're going to be deceived themselves. And so they're very, very sincere about their stories of talking to angels and having a near-death experience and seeing certain things in certain ways and writing their books. And, and, uh, and you know, they have all of the these experiences uh, in this supernatural realm that they themselves are convinced truly happened. And, and Christianity, as you know it, is a little different than what you thought all along. Let me explain it to you. Be careful, guys. And in verse 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned, been assured of, knowing from whom you've learned them. Timothy, I don't need to tell you, but there's not new truths out there. Remember, Paul writes in Thessalonians, he says, I hear you guys will be getting letters from me. <laughs> And they're saying things differently, like, hey, I'm sorry, but since I was last at Thessalonica, I've actually understood that what I preached to you wasn't quite correct, and I'm going to fix it here in this letter. And, and, uh, and, and evidently, it was about the coming of the Lord, the rapture of the church. And, and, and Paul basically says, look, if you get a letter from me, he says to Galatian church, even if an angel appeared to you, saying something other, different than what I've taught you. Let them be anathema, damned to the lowest part of hell. And now he's telling Timothy, if your doctrine is changing, if things that we held dear, that we were beaten for and persecuted for and imprisoned for, now are, are changing because you don't want to get beaten again. <laughs> you don't want to lose uh, the friends you have. You don't want to upset the church in Ephesus that you're pastoring. And you don't want to be rude because there's so many people that heard this guy speak uh, on the other side of town and they really want him to speak Sunday morning at our church. And, and you know, I don't want to offend these people. They're big givers or, you know, there's a large percentage of church. Whatever it is, stop it. You are not there to teach anything different, new. You are there to continue in the doctrine that I gave to you. And by the way, you know where this came from. Remember in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says to Timothy, when I call to remember, it's the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded also is in you. Remember in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he talks about the role of women in the church. 
And he, he says that the women are not to be the teachers in the church, but they're to learn in all silence and submission. Do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but in silence. Why? Goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Adam was formed first. Eve was second made to be his helpmate, not the other way around. She was there to strengthen him to do what God had him to do. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So that's it. Adam didn't get deceived by the serpent. The woman did. When she said, Adam, take the fruit because I ate some. I want you to eat some now. He knew he was sinning. It wasn't an iniquity. It wasn't being deceived. It was a transgression. And that's why it says in Romans 5, through the one man's sin, Adam, sin came into the world. And uh, in verse 15, nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing. The word saved isn't like salvation. Saved, she, she's got the opportunity in children if she continues in faith, love, holiness with self-control. And so he, Paul is saying, look, the women are, are, can't do what men do as far as teaching and having authority in the church, but their ministry is just as big, maybe even bigger, because they can pour their ministry into the future pastors, future missionaries, future men of God, uh, why they're in uh, their childhood. Now, I want to look at verse 15 here for a minute. It's very specific, very important. It says, and that from childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So he says, you know who you've learned this from. Yes, Paul, no doubt he's referring to that. But then he says, far more, this, these truths you've known since childhood. And that Greek word is the Greek word brephos which is used for a baby in the womb or newly out of the womb. And he could have used uh, two other Greek words that refer to small children, toddlers and, and even small children uh, under 10. But he didn't. He used this word saying that basically from the womb, <laughs> I know Chuck Smith um, his mother read the entire Bible several times to him while he was in the womb. And all through his adult life, he had verses of the Bible, obscure verses, memorized. And he said, I, I hardly even remember reading them, but yet I have them memorized. And he believes it was from the womb in his infancy that those things were placed into his heart. And so... These things that you got from your grandmother and your mother as they were pouring into you when you were in the womb and an infant in the crib and as a little guy learning how to walk, they just kept pouring the scriptures into you. And now these things are what's going to make you, number one, wise for salvation. So... Again, it's not necessarily returning to salvation, being born again. It's saying you're going to be saved from error, and you're going to save the church from error. And you're going to not, you're going to know when these guys are saying something different because you, you know the real thing from infancy all the way up to when you were a teenager and you started traveling with me. You, you've never not been around good, sound doctrine. And so now don't let these guys move you from this, from, and he makes it clear, the Holy Scripture. And I'm just going to read verse 6 and 17 and end here tonight. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, God breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, perfected, lacking nothing, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So they were trying to move him with other literature, maybe other philosophers. And he's coming back and he's saying, let me tell you, the word of God 
is complete. And that you, you don't have to second guess yourself saying, but there's other information out there in the world. Yes, that's absolutely true. God didn't put all truth in the Bible, but all that's in the Bible is truth. And if any of it contradicts the Bible, it's false, not the Bible. It's an error. And so, Timothy, get back to the basics, right? Maybe Timothy wasn't hungering for the word because people had begun weakening him and his confidence in the Bible. And, uh, you know, I've been in those places where I got around some theologian type and start trying to convince me the Bible's not correct here and not correct there and, and, uh, and having to dig in and study and, and come back at him. And, yeah, I've, I'm confident that not one jot nor tittle, not one period or comma of God's word is incorrect. Not any of it will pass away. But all of God's word is true. It'd be easier for the entire Milky Way galaxy to be incinerated than for one jot and tittle of God's word to be changed, right? It's indestructible. And uh, we'll take some, some more time and look at that in the weeks to come. And Lord, we come to you now and wow, it wasn't enjoyable, <laughs> but we know it's true. We know we need to hear these things, the, the battle plans. Oh, I wish we were just in the garden and no more war. We long for heaven. We long for peace. We long to be in our brand new body and the struggle over. We long for the devil to be cast into the abyss and no more smell fill hearing of him ever again. But Lord, we're not. We're we're having to get ready for the battle, sharpen our swords and practice our bow skills and, and get prepared and ready. Because we know that out of all the times in history, Christians had to fight for their faith. We know that an apostasy is coming where there is the majority of people that will go to church in comfortableness will not follow you if it means really doing what you have always said to do, denying ourselves, taking up a cross, giving our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice, worthy and acceptable unto you, walking in a manner worthy of you, pleasing you in every respect, not compromising with the world, not loving the world or the things in the world, but just to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And of that purpose, nothing even comes close to challenging it. To seek you first in your kingdom and your righteousness and let everything else be damned. It's you, Jesus. We live and move or have our being. And for us to live is Christ, no matter what the cost may be. And to die is gain. But for us to live as Christ means to difficulty in this world. We know that is the fact and we're ready for it. So wash us from our compromise. Heal us from our flimsy Christianity that we're calling Christianity. And let us get back into the scripture that's able to make us wise to follow you as you truly said to follow you. Not in a way that's easy for us, but in a way that's true. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.